0: The following is a presentation from the Recycling Council of Alberta's 2021 webinar series. This episode gets back to basics on extended producer responsibility and introduces the fundamentals to new members. The RCA would like to thank our supporters for making this webinar possible, including platinum sponsor the Alberta Beverage Container Recycling Corporation. In this segment, we hear from Bob McDonald with BC's Ministry of Environment and Climate Change. Bob has been on the ground for BC's EPR implementation since day one, first with local government and then transitioning into the provincial role. Bob will touch on some of the toughest issues in the rollout of EPR and lessons from navigating its implementation.
1: So uh, yeah, I'm speaking to you from uh, beautiful and Lake on Vancouver Island, in, uh, BC. But I should acknowledge I'm grateful to live and uh, currently work on the traditional lands of the Alcuminum peoples, uh, part of the Coast Salish, Salish peoples, whose uh, relationship with the land uh, continues to this day. So that's where I am in this neck of the woods, and uh, happy to be sharing a little bit of what uh, both Jody and Glenda have already shared, a little bit of the history, sort of how we got to where we are today, uh, and as well as um, some of the things that we're, we're currently looking at for, uh, down the road here. So I'll do the uh, you know 2004 as Linda mentioned was really a turning point for EPR and BC, um, and we'll jump right into the uh, packaging program after that, as well as a, a bit more focus these days being put on plastics, as you can well imagine, and um, and then what uh, we're looking at uh, basically over the next five years for EPR and BC. So um, back in the day we had the Litter Act, which was really just focused on garbage uh, containers. Um, uh, that was uh, a moment in time, but it, it did start back then, uh, and we started to look, have a much closer look at all the household hazardous waste materials. So we did some studies uh, in the 1980s, and then um, the way things evolved uh, back in the day, we we actually started to uh, operate uh, household hazardous waste collection depots, but. Um, these were proved to be quite expensive and um, only very limited access. Uh, you can imagine eight throughout the whole entire province was pretty limited. Um, and then we got into sort of, I'd say, more of the beginnings of EPR, where we um, started tagging uh, producers with the, some of the costs. We were initially running the program, especially for tires and batteries in 1991. Those were in-house programs. I was actually with the ministry back in the early 90s uh, when these came, came to be. Uh, as well as through 94, uh, when we brought in the, some other, started bringing in some other individual regulations that targeted specific products. Uh, we had the paint in 1994. We had uh, basically household hazardous waste in 1997. Uh, another regulation in 97 was uh, rejigging the or doing the um, beverage container stewardship program regulation, which replaced the Litter Act. And then we also um, updated the used oil uh, regulation. So we there there were a number of these regulations that were targeting specific products, um, and they were generally much more prescriptive. Uh, you know, for example, you know with used oil that you know if you sold it as a retailer, you had to have a collection uh, facility years or somebody you contract with within X kilometers. It was quite prescriptive in terms of what you know uh, accessibility looked like. Um, then in 2004, as Glenda mentioned, you know that was probably the biggest uh, turning point. We went to one regulation and basically we add schedules to that regulation. So as mentioned, beverage containers was schedule one to that regulation. Um, then we got into tires, and then we got into electronics, schedule three. You know residuals, all the other materials, schedule four, and then today we've got schedule five, which is the packaging. So, um, but it, it is one regulation. Um, And it is results-based, 100% producer responsibility uh, since that point in time. Um, Each producer, just to clarify, each producer is responsible and liable at the end of the day. And basically when it really comes down to brass tacks in terms of uh, legal liability, it's it's the individual producer. It could be the producer responsibility organization itself. It could be individuals on the board of uh, uh, that organization. It could be any combination thereof. So, folks are definitely on the hook in BC for um, that liability. Um, it's it's often, as mentioned, it's often you know producers sign up with a agency to cover their their, their uh, legal obligations, and they pay the tab, and that's the last they really think of it. Um, it's not quite like that. It, it, there is an element of that, but it's uh, it does go quite a bit deeper. The way it's played out in BC. It, regulation does allow for competition within each of those categories. We've got, uh, as I mentioned, five schedules. We've got schedules. We've got 21 programs. Um, so we've got like a dozen electronics programs. They all run in parallel and they all work well together in terms of, you know, where there's overlap or material collective that's not theirs. It's, a, you know, a shared arrangement, a cooperative arrangement where they bill and send materials uh, where they're supposed to be directed to. But uh, generally it allows for um the way it's played out it's 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 one program per material type so with the regulation just to, to there's a couple of points i really want to emphasize here is results based environmental outcomes the regulation is um if you if you actually read our regulation it's a little open to interpretation or um flexible if you will so it will say you know things like um you must provide adequate consultation when you're developing a stewardship plan you must have free and reasonable access to Collection provide reasonable access to collection facilities or services. Um, what does that really mean? That is that gets that's over to producers or their organization to figure out how to meet those uh, criteria, and then they write it basically spell it out in a plan. We evaluate that plan, go back and forth. It's consulted on by the producers, get a lot of feedback, and end of the day we approve a plan, and that's basically the marching orders for the next five years for that program, and it does set a pretty Clear course of action as to how it's going to be done. Uh, the way it plays out is when these programs are first put in place. Um, there's, you know, these goals and targets and and uh, direction provided. It's all spelled out. Sometimes it's bang on. It's uh, executed as such, and and uh, things work out as expected. Often it's okay that we need to tweak this area or it needs to be upgraded next time the plan is renewed, or it can be renewed during that five year period if need be. If there's a real fault or um, element that's, uh, that needs to be amended. We can do it at any point along that five-year period. But as I say, programs are designed and operated by the producer or producer appointed agency. We, we approve and monitor the plans, uh, that oversight element. And I should note that we, when I say we, that is the provincial government. That is you know, about a dozen of us within a section of the Ministry of Environment that uh, we, we manage that. And so it's we don't have a separate uh, or oversight body or organization. Um, so we, we think it's pretty lean. Um, we, we're definitely we're up against it in terms of uh, just managing those programs, all the elements, and trying to evolve those programs over time um, But uh, with just a dozen people. But that's the model we have, and it seems to work pretty well overall. Um, and obviously, the, you know, part of the uh, check and balance is that uh, these producers, they set the performance measures in accordance with, you know, what what we require, what the regulation requires. And they report out annually um, audited financial statements if they charge a fee uh, and audited environmental performance measures. You know, do they really collect and manage those materials as they state? um, And that's audited by an independent firm and reported out annually. Uh, One thing I should note, uh, so it is one regulation. We've got the schedules. We've got these plans that, um, you know, some days I (laughs) I think these plans are – a pain, But uh, um, one thing they allow for is evolving programs where, you know, what what happened, you know, seven, 17 years ago, what's happening today, where we see things going tomorrow, that evolves. And it's much easier to amend a, a stewardship plan than it is a regulation. I just think that's a point worth making where as much hassle as it is, it does engage all stakeholders, local governments, producers, and everything in in the conversation of, okay, that's great what we've been doing. How can we tweak it? How can we um, make it better? And, and one of the mantras we've had in BC for the last number of years has been just continuous improvement on that front. So that's, that's taken a, a lot of effort, but we think uh, as these plans evolve, they, they just get better and better, continually improve. So we did uh, add a number of materials uh, during this period um, tires, and number of electronics along the way. And then lastly, we got into the residential packaging program. And that was that was basically when I I'd left uh, local government um, or I'd left uh, the provincial government uh, mid mid 90s, more or less, went to local government for 17 years or something, and then came back the day or the week before this launched. So uh, that was uh, busy times. Um, but uh, anyway, the, it was, as Glenda mentioned, it was uh, the regulation was passed in 2011. Three years later, uh, the program was actually launched in 2013. Industry producers, they undertook uh, research and consultation. I remember being on the sort of receiving end of that as a local government that they came by and, and, you know, sort of tallied up what was going on in the province with the different local governments, what those collection systems looked like, how they operated, where the materials went, what materials were being collected. Um, and then there was an added element where, and we signed up for it, where they actually did an audit of our costs to manage our, our system. Um, and uh, really, you tell the a lot of effort was put in dialing di- di- into, you know, what what's going on today and, and how can this be um, carried into tomorrow? How does that transfer actually work? So uh, one other thing on our end I should mention was just before the program launched, um, after the regulation was passed, we realized that this was obligating all producers. And we realized maybe we shouldn't be doing that. There's a ton of small producers, um, tens of thousands that are you know, individual business um, that generates um, very little material and should probably be exempted. So we brought in a, at the last minute, a small producer exemption. It's not bad. We're still looking to that today. Is it the right thing? But basically you're exempted if you are a charity, produce less than a ton of um, packaging or print paper, um, paper products uh, a year, or um, single point of sale, three, four, any one of these four uh, elements you're allowed to, you're exempted, basically. So um, it's, it's allowed, it's it's eliminated a lot of the small producers that it would be more of a hassle to uh, sign them up than anything. And I, I think Dave will speak to this more, but that exemption is uh, was well intended. One thing we found, though, is uh, some of, that, some of the, those exemptions like single point of sale, it can be a monster retailer that has one single point of sale, uh, and they're currently exempted. Um, that wasn't the intent, it was more your mom paused, but that's that's an area that uh, um, yeah, if we had to do over again, I'm not sure we'd do it exactly the way we did. So it was launched in uh, spring of 2014. Um, like I say, I was with local government at the time. Just before that, I remember there was a lot of anxiety because there's local governments going to be basically, if they wanted to stay in the game, they would be you know contracting to this not-for-profit industry association or group that really made people feel uncomfortable. And to be honest, I remember reading the contracts uh, to be a collector on behalf of this pro and uh, and going, Jesus, this is very lopsided, one-way, um, heavily biased contract. It's, damn it, it's just like the contracts we write, you know, as local government. So, um, but sure enough, we ended up being the contractor. A lot of anxiety uh, amongst us uh, and neighbouring jurisdictions. Um, some communities of, you know, the Hundreds that opted in, a handful opted out and said, no, we're just not comfortable with this. We don't like the price or the terms or whatever. We're just not going to do this. Um, and they're basically waitlisted. And one of the challenges we had were the free-riding producers, many of which were significant in size, most of which had no idea this was even going on. So there's a lot of um, uh, you know, compliance promotion done at the time and uh, by us, and that took all, of, uh, all the bodies on, on, were on deck for that. Uh, internally, to to get those producers signed up, one of the bigger ones was the newspaper group that you know substantial material, and they they backed out for financial reasons, said we're we're out, and that pretty kind of handcuffed the program and its expansion to all the communities as as set out in the plan. Um, it wasn't until we got them in the tent and paying, and ultimately government, as uh, most provincial governments do in the country, ended up subs- subsidizing that group to some degree. Um, but got that material being properly managed, and um, ultimately those waitlist communities wanted in. They saw the you know this actually worked out well. They're out of the game of all the risk. They simply were the collector, so um, they saw the benefits, and everyone wanted in. And true sure enough, we've got most people in. I think Dave will speak to how that continues to evolve, and that uh, those uh, communities are all well, not all, but vast majority in BC are, are now in the tent. Uh, Today, there are three EPR plans for packaging, but uh, 98% of uh, producers are managed under the uh, Recycle BC plan. So just in the context of what we're doing today, um, Clean BC is sort of the mothership of environmental initiatives in BC, if you will. Um, It's it's got a number of elements, a number of arms to it. Uh, One of which that uh, we're really focused on is the plastics action plan that was born out of the Clean BC plan. Um, and it's focused on these four areas, um, bands of various natures, on uh, single-use packaging, um, trying to reduce single-use uh, plastics in uh, entering waterways, um, expanding the, the plastic bottle and uh, beverage container return program that's 50-plus you know, years old now, and reducing plastics overall. So a couple of key elements there. Um, I'll touch on a few here. In terms of EPR, there was demand for this. Uh, people really liked the um, Clean BC Plastics Action Plan. A lot of the elements that uh, we consulted on there um, were very much adopted and encouraged. And you know, even what we were suggesting there, there a lot of input saying go beyond that, keep up deposits even more, do this, ban this. It was an uh, incredible feedback and incredible support for this direction. Um, local government was a you know they had the priority request uh, for increased diversion. Uh, safe management of various materials beyond just plastics but um, overall meaning less cost to them to manage different material types. Uh, We want to eliminate gaps in the regulation there's you know between the different schedules there's that we're you know x years old now Um, there's a lot of gaps a lot of um, new products on the market Um, I'll get into that in a sec and requirements for uh, producers uh, you know basically Trying to make it you know, more equitable for them as well as um, confusion at the point of collection, uh, be it depots and whatnot. So last year, um, we did a regulatory amendment. We added single-use packaging-like products. Uh, those are coming. Milk is also coming. That's moved uh, similar to Alberta, is uh, now under deposit uh, as of next year. And modernizing the deposit refund system to a standard $0.10 cents, uh, and allowing for cashless uh, refunds. So that was a regulatory amendment we made at the time. At the same point, we made an announcement regarding uh, going forward for the next five years. And really, this intentions paper went out with uh, covers a lot of ground, um, but asking for input uh, regarding what products we, we can and should be incorporating and and then feedback on uh, what is what does this five-year strategy look like? Um, and will there be more outreach on, on various elements of it? So the five areas we're targeting are mattresses, additionally additional moderately hazardous products, um, as well as uh, electrical products and batteries. So for hazardous products, um, things like propane casters, pool chemicals, sharps, uh, veterinary medicines, a lot of gaps sort of in the existing uh, schedule. Electrical products, you, you can imagine um, all the sort of newer products, uh, drones, uh, e-vapes, uh, or e-cigarettes vapes, um, EV batteries, solar panels, a lot of those things, and then packaging paper products beyond residential sources, ICI. Um, so that's a that's a big one. Um, you know, it's a it's a pretty new field for us to um, get into. It hasn't been done anywhere in North America that uh, I'm aware of, but. Um, it's, there's a lot of demand for that, a lot of confusion where residential is being collected. People really like that system. Can we not just add ICI onto, onto that? It's not quite that easy. We're not sure exactly what areas of ICI or is it more geographically based or in material types or what. Um, there's a lot of research to be done there and I could definitely see more consultation down the road on that front. But um, that's a that's a big area as well as lost fishing gear and aquaculture gear. Um, also plastics entering waterways and oceans. So. That's, um, that's the gist of it. One last comment I should mention, just in terms of politically, and having been there in the early 90s to today, every, every administration, every stripe of government has incorporated and adopted EPR, really um, and fully, there's never been a question about it and it's been expanded continuously over the years. So just some context there that I think is worthwhile sharing.
0: Thank you for listening to this 2021 webinar series podcast. Search for On the Cusp, Alberta Circular Podcast on iTunes and the Google app for more from the RCA or visit recycle.ab.ca to see the full presentations.